heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Call now with your question, 224-585-WSFI. That's 224-585-9734. Hello and welcome to Healing the Whole Person. We have a very exciting show for you today because of our guest. We have Father Paul Scalia with us. Father is a native of Virginia. He studied theology at the Pontifical Gregorian University and the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. Father was ordained in 1996 and he has served in various parishes and currently he's the Episcopal Vicar for the clergy of Arlington, Virginia. Father founded the Arlington Diocese Chapter of Courage and serves also as Chairman of the Board of Directors for Courage International. And last but not least, he is one of the nine uh, children of the late and great uh, Justice Antonin Scalia. So, Father, we're so honored to have you on the show, and welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Father. I, I, I've been looking forward to this so much. Now, you should know we have like four wonderful ladies sitting in the studio. So um, they're listening, and they might jump in at any point with a question or a comment and so forth. So, um, or a criticism? <laughs> no, I doubt it. <laughs> uh, my name is Joan McHugh, and I'm the host of uh, your weekly show here, and this is WSFI 88.5 FM for our listeners, and they know this show well. And, Father, um, I want to start out with um, a little bit about your vocation story. I've read a lot about you getting ready for this interview, so I don't want to preempt you, but you the first time you say in your book, which we'll get to, it hit me on the way home from confirmation. Um, is that where you'd like to start your story, or do you have another place to start your vocation story? Well, I mean, the, the only thing that would have happened before that would just, you know, thoughts going through my mind when I'm when I'm a boy, you mm -hmm. know, at mass, and just kind of you know looking there and wondering about being a priest. Right. Uh, but the yeah, the moment that really sticks out uh, to me as as a defining moment was was on the on the way back from con from confirmation. Uh, my dad and I were driving uh, apart from the rest of the family, and we stopped to run an errand, and uh, it was really sort of very ordinary, just sitting in the parking lot in the car as my dad ran into the drugstore and, uh, and just felt this um, sense that, I, yes, I'm going to be a priest, uh, which wasn't necessarily um, that I wanted to or mm -hmm. that God wanted me to, mm -hmm. uh, but it was just sort of a, a certainty. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't let it bother me a whole lot. I continued mm -hmm. to just kind of, you know, be a regular eighth grader and then and, and through high school. But it was always rattling around in the back of my mind there. And I, I really do see that as a, as a grace of confirmation. Wow, how beautiful, Father. How beautiful. Um, but you, it, you, it came to you because of this, probably you had a very structured um, family life centered on, on, on your Catholic faith. Is that correct? Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... Uh, I, I don't want to uh, uh, say that it was... Um, we, we weren't that devout, you know, we weren't the, 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 the family that was known for being devout. I mean, it was, 
we were Catholic. Uh-huh, that was that uh-huh. was an essential part of our identity. Okay. Uh, we we prayed before meals. We went to mass every Sunday. We we were observant, and mm-hmm. um, but there was just this. It it did shape us, and uh, I don't want to make too much of of the the devotion in our family because uh, now being a priest, I, I see. Gosh, you know, we could have been more devout. Right? <laughs> but uh-huh. um, but uh, but it, it it certainly was uh, a constitutive part of our of our identities part of who we were, and, and I certainly had a sense of that uh, as a boy and growing up, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and so, yes, that certainly uh, played a role. That was sort of the atmosphere, the soil in which, uh, sure. which it grew, and that's always, that's always struck me as, as important because, uh, you know, it, it's not like every vocation has to come from, you know, the, you know, like like Saint Teresa's parents, you know, who are so devout, yes, <laughs> yes, um, and so prayerful and everything. No, it's and my my parents, uh, I think they they would scratch their heads and say, we don't really know how it is that we have a priest in our family and all of our <laughs> children are still in the church. Yes, uh, yes, that's, yes. That's a rarity uh, these days. Truly, um, but truly, it happened. Uh, so, well, that was certainly the the the. Uh, the soil in, w- in which um, of course. Grew, that's and sure. I think your parents fostered that kind of a uh, a soil by I read some uh, in, in my getting ready for the show your father or mother or both they drove extra miles to go to a church that had uh, good doctrinal teaching absolutely and uh, it was both it, it was both my um, they were on the same page with all of that mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we used to, as I like to joke, uh, every Sunday, Dad would drive us 45 minutes to a church one hour away. Uh, we would go, you know, careening uh, across the city to, um, and it was, uh, it was kind of comical if you think back on it, but um, it, it made the impression that um, the, the solid teaching and, and the, the, the faithful and reverent liturgy is, is worth uh, inconveniencing the entire family to, to get. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I, my brothers tell the story. I was probably I was too young, but they tell the story of one of those Sundays on on the drive back. My dad expressing his desire that he have a soldier in in the in the family, and that he also have a have a priest. And that that scared my older brothers, uh, mm. uh, the priest part. And, <laughs> uh, and so they, um, they they quickly said that uh, that uh, they quickly uh, said, well, Paul is very devout. <laughs> and uh, sort of redirected my dad's attention to me. <laughs> of course, I was, you know, I was in second grade, and I didn't know what was going on. All right, that's kind of cute. Yes. But you did, uh, you, so after the confirmation, you, you went to school, and then you ended up at Holy Cross uh, College. That's right. And um, was, it, was it long after that that you began thinking about entering, or how did that happen? Well, I thought while, while I was at Holy Cross, I, that, that's really where I, I kind of made my final decision, discern, discern that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then uh, it was, yeah, it was really at Holy Cross. And you know, my, my friends and I uh, started a newspaper there, an independent newspaper. And uh, we all had sort of, you know, the same overarching goal, but, uh, but different sort of personal ones. And mine was, was really to give a, a, a stronger voice for uh, the truth, for Catholic truth on campus. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I found myself engaged in in, in reading about uh, the Catholic faith more mm-hmm. and learning how to articulate it better mm-hmm. and and coming to the realization that 
the, the suffering that people experience and the needs that they have are uh, most fully addressed only by uh, the Catholic faith, uh, the Catholic uh, by by Catholic doctrine and the sacraments, and so that that certainly nourished my uh, my my vocation. And so by the end of college, I uh, had had decided to enter the seminary. Father, we could do a whole show on your last sentence. You know that that the Catholic faith addresses. Um, everything we need to get through life and to find our way, you know. But that'll have to be another show because I want to move on <laughs> to, <laughs> to and hopefully you'll come back sometime, will you, Father? Okay. Yeah, so um, you end, so you entered the priesthood. So you ended up writing a book. Um, the, the title of it is, um, let me see. I've just lost the title. That, that, um, that Nothing May Be Lost. Um, so in yes. that book, uh, it's very impressive. A lot of people contribute to the book. Um, you said um, you're, when you s- mentioned to your dad that you wanted to write the book, he, s- he said something like, well, why didn't you do this sooner? You know, he approved a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of his typical way of saying, yes, I think it's a good idea. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and encouraging, but, but, um, but, but, but also... Uh, <laughs> sort of, you know, saying, you know, giving me a hard time for not thinking of it sooner. Right, not, not right, right. Being a father. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. The, the title, Father, is intriguing that nothing may be, may be lost. It's from the um, the loaves and fishes story. You, it's a metaphor for the church. Would you explain that a little bit? Yeah, well, it's a curious uh, command that our Lord gives at, in John's Gospel after the multiplication of the loaves and fish, mm-hmm. which is the only miracle that is recorded by all four evangelists. Yes. Uh, so at the end of the miracle, this incredible miracle, um, our Lord says to the apostles, uh, gather up the fragments left over, that nothing may be lost. And mm-hmm. you would think that, that after working such a miracle on such a grand scale, our Lord wouldn't really be be concerned about fragments right. being lost, about right. leftovers, in, in, in effect. Uh, but he commands that to the apostles, and, um, and, I, and, and I, there, there is something uh, really profound in that, that, that we don't want to lose anything, really, of the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what, I, what I see the book being, you know, trying to do, and just being the contribution of this larger effort of, of the Church, uh, always, you know, gathering up the fragments uh, of Catholic truth and making sure that they are whole and entire, and 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 that nothing is lost mm-hmm. as as the Church hands on the deposit of faith through the centuries and indeed through the millennia. Yes. Um, that's the task of the Church, uh, making sure that that the, that the faith, whole and entire, is handed down. And uh, and so, just as the apostles had to make sure that nothing was lost. Uh, so uh, the church today, and, and I, I hope that that collection of essays in the book uh, is just you know a, a tiny little com- contribution oh. uh, to that effort. It's a huge contribution, Father. There, you have all manner of people contributing essays on prayer and all various things. So there, there's something else that jumped out at me: um, the uh, multiplication of the loaves and fishes. Jesus is moved with pity for the crowds because they are, in the words of the prophet Hosea, destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, yes. That struck you yeah. deeply, didn't it? 
Well, it, you know, it, it's what was in my mind when I was in college, mm-hmm. uh, encountering my peers, encountering others who had, had not been exposed to the Catholic faith at all. Yeah. And, um, and although I, I didn't think of it in the words of Jose at the time, um, there was something missing in their life because uh, they, the, the Catholic faith had not been made known to them. Right. Or, perhaps even worse, it had been made known to them in the wrong way. Yes. So they, they received a, a distorted um, uh, knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it's something that we don't, we, we, we tend to think that truth and doctrine and dogma and teaching, um, we tend to see that as just sort of an intellectual exercise. It doesn't really have to do with uh, real life, as mm-hmm. we call it. Or, or uh, we make a separation uh, between truth and charity. And, and, and really, the first thing that our Lord does before the multiplication of loaves and fish is that he teaches them at great length. Yes. Because what, what we really desire is not to be fed physically, but to be fed spiritually. Yes. And, and the proper nourishment we receive spiritually is first through the intellect. Mm-hmm. We, and this is why in the Mass, it's the liturgy of the Word first. Yes. We are first fed through the intellect, uh, by, by that enlightenment that comes to the Word of God. Right. And then we are also fed um, by our Lord's own body and blood in, yes. in, in the Eucharist. And so that, that whole scene of the multiplication of loaves and fish, is, is, uh, it's an image of the Mass. Yes. Our Lord first teaches mm-hmm. them, and then He nourishes them. That's beautiful. Uh, and that's what happens at every Mass. Well, I was going to uh, do this later in the show, Father. Do you have your book handy? Uh, I do, because you asked me to. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, there's, there's a description. I love the Mass, and I love the Eucharist. Um, and you have a conclusion to the homily you gave for your, the funeral homily that you gave for your father, which I want to talk about. But you have a, a beautiful ending to that homily, and it's about the Mass. And I was going to ask you to read it, Father. Well, rather than read it, can I just... Oh, sure. <laughs> just summarize it, then. It's so beautiful. I, I don't mean to, to, to... Yeah, because this is... Well, the, the, the passage that I used for, for my father's uh, funeral homily is uh, from Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. And, and, and that is the Mass. Right. Uh, uh, I always take my watch off when I say Mass, not only because it can be distracting to people when, you know, he lifts up the host and... You know, people look at the watch. Right, right. right. Uh, but, but also uh, because, well, at Mass, we are not in time the way we usually are. Right. Because the Mass is making present uh, both the past and the future. So our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection are made present, those events from the past. But, uh, but our Lord also, we, we do this with um, a view to his coming in the future. And and he indeed comes, right, yes. uh, uh, under the form of bread and wine. Yeah. And so, th- so at the Mass, in the present, uh, we, we touch the past and, and, and the future as well. Uh, the, the gesture of the priest at Mass with his hands extended, you know, sort of signifies this, this reaching to both the past and, and, and the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's, I think, a, a good way of approaching and understanding the Mass. And... Um, you know, bringing all of all of our concerns, our sorrows, mm-hmm. uh, our joys, our efforts, our failures, bringing all of those things from the past to the mass, and mm-hmm. then um, and then really allowing our Lord to uh, 
to change us and to, to um, really transform us for the future. Rarely do I read such, um, you know, I love the mask greatly. And to try, I mean, I believe that. And I, I want so much to, to get the word out to my family, to friends, to whoever, uh, what you just said. Like, the mass is a real ongoing presence of Jesus in, our, in, in us. But he brings us to the foot of the cross, and then, but he he is he is present to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's not. To, I think people today think it, say it, but they don't really get it. You know, that's my my chief concern is that we don't really know. If we knew what was happening at mass, ev- the churches would be there. Wouldn't be room for people. Well, yeah, and this, and this, uh, yeah, absolutely right. And this speaks to the need for uh, be- not not just reverence, but beautiful uh, liturgy. Yes. That the offering of the mass should be uh, done in such a way that that um, that the people sense there is something different. And you know, you asked me earlier about um, about my you know my vocation, mm-hmm. and I remember one one Sunday mass being there, and. Um, Someone started walking out of, of the church with a host, mm. and uh, and the priest who was distributing communion he bolted from from uh, his place in the sanctuary mm-hmm. and actually chased the person down. Wow! And uh, lucky for him, it was a small church; he didn't have far to go. Right. And um, but I I was I was probably in in middle school, and I watched, and I, I wasn't I wasn't saying prayers after communion the way I should have been. Right. But I watched that, and it really struck me, and I thought to myself, this is real. Yes. The only reason the priest did that is because this is real. Beautiful. Uh, this is this is different from any other thing that we experience. How beautiful. Mm. How true. There was one saint, and, and I think that's that, that's that's what we try to do with all of our, you know, what, you know, um, all of the smells and bells, as we call it, of the mass. Right. Yes. We, we we try to we try to um, in, invest what we're doing with uh, a mysterious sense. Uh, precisely so that people won't think that it's meaningless, and they and they will be be led to something uh, greater. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yes, of course. Um, there was a saint. I think was it Saint Francis de Sales. I can't remember who um, used to chase people out of the church if they left with uh, the communion in their mouth. I think it was <laughs> the I, story. I think it's told of of Saint John Vianney that he would send altar boys. Oh, maybe. Uh, well, all after right. Them with, with 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 two candles. Okay. And uh, we wouldn't have enough altar boys or candles <laughs> yeah, to do that. Something. Okay. So yeah, I, I read something like that. Yes, Father. They'd be very busy in our church today, wouldn't they? Oh, <laughs> Susie, that's Susie speaking. Yes, go ahead, Susie. Yes, okay. One of the things that um, strikes me, um, and um, mainly because I've I had. A conversion. Uh, uh, even though I'm a cradle Catholic, I really didn't come to a fullness in my Catholic faith. I didn't reali- have the grace of my baptism and my confirmation fully realized till I was 29, uh, when I gave my life to the Lord, submitted myself to Him fully. I knew Him in my head, but I needed it needed a 12-inch trip from my head to my heart. But one of the things I the you know Holy Spirit then just works in your life and shows you so many th- beautiful things, but also sad things. And what I see a lot are the cultural Catholics um, that are there, but that like Joan said, 
they don't know why and it, it's empty and uh, I uh, so I my heart is bursting with the desire for evangelization and I try and do it as often as I can but a lot of people don't know how to share that faith like you, the beautiful words the way you can express it father and uh, so that's that's where my heart is to teach others to to really share their their beliefs to the point where others will be moved to to give their lives to Christ as well Susie thank you for that and go ahead father yeah well, and 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 we should feel sort of a, a sadness, uh, and not 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 of course because you know we, we think ourselves superior, but just because no. uh, you know, gosh, I, I want people to know what I know right? yes. that, that that because I found this has brought me such peace, and I want others others to share it. it it's what exactly. we always uh, find, you know, in, in the um, in the the readings after Easter, you know, that that the the, the first Christians are just just so much want to um, share what they have, uh, not because they see themselves better, but just because they they um, they have found such such peace, yes, and they, they yes. want to share that with everybody. Yes, so yes. so that our joy may complete be complete is what Saint John says, and uh, and that's that's I think that's that's what we have to keep in mind too. We um, our joy is somehow incomplete uh, until and unless we we. We share this, and that, that's why we want to share it. Exactly. So that nothing and no one will be lost. We lost your, your book. <laughs> um, Father, well, you... Well, that's, that's right, and that's another, another sort of... <laughs> uh, well, and especially uh, it, yeah, our no children, it hurts really bad when you love the Lord so much, and then some of your children don't catch this that. This is Dory, Father. Dory is with us. Hi, yes. Father. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Greatest, Hello, Dory. The greatest pain is because the two people I love the most aside from my husband are my children and my God and when my children and my God are not together yes that just I hear that just tears my heart open right and you know um, and in a sense that's the heart's proper response to uh, to that situation because uh, the temptation would be to compromise on one or the other is to say well I love my children more than my faith so my children must be right and my faith wrong. Right. Or oh, no. to say I love my faith more than my children, so you know I, I'm I'm cutting them off. Uh, of course, the the reason it causes you pain is because you're loving properly, because mm-hmm. you 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 love your children and you love the faith, and it's because they're not together and you're holding them together in your heart. That's right. that's where the pain comes from. That's right. And so yeah. in, in a, it, and that's a great way of understanding our Lord's Sacred Heart. Uh, why is his sacred heart so burdened? Precisely because he loves the Father and he loves us, and we are not yet reconciled fully with the Father. Mm, wow. Oh, that's a good connection. I like that. Thank you, Father. <laughs> you know, um, Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and I think that's true for a lot of parents in their homes. They, uh, they don't have um, a voice uh, as far as the faith is concerned. Uh, when the children get to a certain age and we saw that in our home and so my husband and I began to pray that an outside witness someone would speak to them or some ones uh, that would repeat and echo what we had been teaching them and pretty much it's worked (laughs) so I encourage people to pray pray for the outside witness to confirm your your teaching I like that. So thank you, Susie. That inspires me, too. So we're coming up on a break, Father. 
So uh, we're going to just take a short break, and then we'll be back. We're, talk- we're talking to Father Paul Scalia. This is WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Signing off just for a minute. Did you know you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio online? Visit WSFIRadio.org for more information. That's WSFIRadio.org. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. My name is Father John Grigas. I'm the rector of the Shrine of St. Max and Colby at Marytown. I'm a priest, and as priests, we are responsible for forming you in the presence of Christ through the sacraments, through the preaching, through everything else. But you are the Christ who goes out into the world and brings the good news. And WSFI is one of the main means. And so God bless all that WSFI does. And please support WSFI in whatever means that you can so that this wonderful station may continue to broadcast the good news and evangelize our culture. WSFI 88.5 FM. Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Hello and welcome back. We're talking to Father Paul Scalia, uh, the, so one of the children of um, the late great Justice Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Father, you have a, so many wonderful stories I've read about you. Just one, we're talking about your father for a second. Tell, tell the story about the confession. Would you, one Saturday evening, um, you take it from there when you were hearing confessions. <laughs> it's a great story. Well, you know, just before the break there, uh, one of y'all quoted uh, scripture that uh, no prophet is without honor except in his, his, his own country. Yes. Uh, well, I was assigned as pastor to my home parish, uh, the parish where I was, where I was confirmed um, and, uh, and went to uh, throughout high school. And um, uh, and my my dad, uh, one evening after the Saturday after the Saturday evening mass, my father came up to me, and um, and he he was he was angry, or at least he was he was feigning anger, uh-huh. and um, and he 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 said that I was that that he was hoping that I would be a benefit to him, but but that I was becoming becoming a curse to him. <laughs> and um, of course, this was a little disconcerting. And I, I said, well, "Well, you know, why?" And he 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 said that when he had arrived to go to confession, I was the only priest hearing confession at that time. And uh, and and he said, and and like heck, 
or but stronger than that. Like heck, if I'm going to confession to you. So he jumped so, out of line. <laughs> well, he and yeah, and he and he right exactly. And um, uh, but now, but but sort of the the other part of that of that story, of course, is that uh, that meant that he had he had come late to confessions because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the time that uh, th- that I had left the confessional, um, or by the time I was the only one hearing confessions, that means that the other priest had finished. Had, uh, had finished. Had had left to prepare for mass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was late. So um, <laughs> yeah. So he was late. He was late. But right? he yelled at you. So, oh, that's funny. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was all in good fun. I mean, it was. Uh, I think he realized. He, he would need to be more careful about things from that point on. So your dad I was such a, the quotes about him are endless. Ruth Bader Ginsburg said a ju- he was a jurist of captivating brilliance and wit. And Justice Stephen Breyer said he was a legal titan. He was, he was all those things and more. But I want to talk for a moment. We have other things to talk about, too. But this strikes me because your father was very outspoken about this Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Uh, way back in 1992, when the court upheld the constitutional right to have an abortion, although your father disagreed. But in this case, um, the state uh, can impose some restrictions on the procedure at any point point prior to fetal viability. And uh, your father, so the, the, um, the state did allow some restrictions like parental notification, although I think they struck that down, but there had to be a 24-hour waiting period, stuff like that. But your father was very vehement on some of these things, and he said the issue should be resolved by a democratic process instead of through the courts. And um, do you do you remember that, Father, or were you t- too young for I that? I remember that very... I remember that very, very well. I was actually working at a pro-life uh, outfit in D.C., uh, that summer, and uh, that was a summer I graduated uh, from college, uh-huh. and uh, I was actually at the court when they handed it down. Oh, okay. And um, uh, and my my father read his dissent from the bench. Yes. Which is uh, which is rare. Yes. And um, and so that 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 gave a sense of of how important he he thought it was. Yes. Yes. And um, it, it wasn't anything. Um, you know, honestly, it, it, it shouldn't have been surprising what what, what he said, uh, because I mean, it was all in keeping with his jurisprudence. Sure. Um, that that this was not something that 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 the court should be ruling on, but that this should be left to. The democratic process that the yeah. Constitution established for our nation, um, and you know, but I think uh, in that in that opinion, uh, it's the end of the opinion that seems to me to be, uh, which is it, it's sort of the least um, uh, legal point of it, which is probably why I like it uh, because I'm not a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But um, he talks about what will happen, and and he reflects upon. Uh, uh, this portrait of Judge Ta- of um, of Justice Taney, who of course uh, uh, wrote the Judge Scott decision, mm-hmm. and um, and he made a comparison um, to you know that that decision that sought to end the question of slavery and didn't right uh, yeah, and and so there was a civil war right, right to yes to, yes to mm-hmm. settle that question 
uh, and that when things are not left to the democratic process, then then we then, then people become frustrated. Mm-hmm. So uh, and he end, he ends the whole opinion by saying we should get out of this area where we have no right to be. Yes, and we where we do our, our need ourselves nor the country any good by remaining. Um, and you know I think another another aspect of this is that. Uh, um, in in that opinion, I think it's it's in that opinion. He, uh, yeah, he says um, confirmation hearings for new justices should deteriorate into questions, question and answer sessions in which senators go through a list of their constituents' most favored and most disfavored alleged constitutional rights and seek the nominee's commitment to support or oppose them. Mm-hmm. Uh, value judgments, after all, should be voted on, not dictated, and so. He, he kind of predicted what uh, the confirmation hearings have become. Isn't because that if, if we expect the Supreme Court to make value judgments yeah. instead of judgments about the law, yes. then we have a different expectation about the nominees. We want the, do- the nominee to, to agree with what uh, we think about, uh, to agree with our philosophy, mm-hmm. not just to prove himself to be a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your father was sort of prophetic in that sense, because that's... Yes, he was. He, he, he knew was. what was coming. He, he could see it. Um, we, um, I have to say that we are, one of my husband's close friends was um, Governor Bob Casey, who was in that uh, case, yeah. Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Yeah, and right. I have his book here, and it's, it's a lovely book he wrote. Uh, fighting for life, but and he was very pro-life as a Democrat. But um, I, I just read this morning, looking at the the chapter on this case, was Casey said after that, after he came out of the court, he said, in this debate, who speaks for the child? I've come here today to say that Pennsylvania speaks for the child. Oh, Isn't that beautiful? beautiful? So, yeah. um, anyway, just, I want to move on though, Father, we have so much to talk to you about. You gave a, a talk at um, Steubenville about St. Thomas More and the eternal significance of marriage. And you said that St. Thomas More, the English politician and philosopher, gave his life in defiance of King Henry VIII's divorce and remarriage. He simply resigned the public office. Um, but, my gosh, he's turning over in his grave what's happened to us since then. Uh, divorce and remarriage has gone a lot further than that. Um, about ho- we want to touch on homosexuality and um, what's happened in the courts, the Supreme Court. We now have the Same-Sex Marriage Act in 2014 and so forth. Um, what are your thoughts, Father, about... Well, we can't avoid talking about the, the sex abuse scandals, but let's talk about marriage first. What... I- what are your thoughts today about, <laughs> you know, St. Thomas More and his stance on marriage, and now what's happened to us now um, with our with our Supreme Court ruling about same-sex marriage and and everything every everything goes now. Yeah. Um, well, I first of all about St. Thomas More, uh, the 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 point that I that I was making in that in that talk. 
is that you know Thomas More was convicted uh, for civil crimes right. uh, for for treason. You know, he, he uh, I'm not sorry, not civil, but but uh, state crimes. Right. Uh, he, he was convicted for for treason for not not recognizing the king, the king, not or you know whatever it, it, it was. Um. And uh, but but the precipitating issue was marriage. Mm-hmm. And in one of the first accounts of his, his trial, uh, in fact, the first account of his trial, it has him saying after his brilliant uh, defense of himself, mm-hmm. um, he says he disproves them on on the treason charge, and then he says, nevertheless, it wasn't because of that that you sought my head. But because I wouldn't bend to the marriage. Yes. In other words, he he knew that it was it, that marriage was central to this. Right. And right. Um, and his he was willing to die in defense of marriage, as was his uh, sort of companion in the Tower of London, Saint uh, Saint John Fisher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so um, uh, marriage is is a fighting point because. Uh, it is the icon of uh, God's relationship with man, yeah. of mm-hmm. Christ's mm-hmm. relationship yeah. with the church. Yeah. In fact, Christ's relationship with the church is the marriage. Right. Uh, every marriage here sort of po- is meant to point us to that definitive marriage. Uh, and and so the, the the loss of marriage in our culture is not just an unfortunate thing. Mm-hmm. It is something that cripples the proclamation of the gospel. Right. And, and and I would say, you know, what's being attacked in our culture, it, it, it is going progressively back to, to to the to the most basic things. And so, if if we could begin with, you know, um, uh, well, abortion, right? It, it assaults that 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 union of of woman and child, and really man, woman, and child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, contraception assaults the 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 command to be uh, be fruitful mm-hmm. and multiply. Mm-hmm. Um, the the radical homosexual agenda assaults the male female complementarity, mm-hmm. and and now that we, what we have with uh, the transgender ideology, as Pope Francis has called it, uh, we have really kind of a rejection of even being created male and female, mm-hmm. uh, and and so it's kind of pushing us back even to the to the first words of scripture, um, and and so we shouldn't think that this is just sort of a, a, a cultural societal thing. No, um, these things are in creation as, as, as ways of, of God revealing himself to us and our ways of coming to know him. Mm-hmm. And when we lose these, we don't just lose something in society, we also lose something uh, uh, about the hereafter. Mm-hmm. It all has to do with our purpose, too. Like, we're created. Absolutely. And, yeah. and do, do we have a purpose or not? All right. 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 Yeah. And and more and more, it is it is. Well, I get to decide. Right. Uh, I get to decide whether or not the child lives. I get to decide whether or not uh, when and whether or not to have children. Uh, I get to decide what gender I am. Right. And so it's a rejection of of God. But it's also very sad because it means that now I don't know myself of has having been created by a loving Creator. For a purpose, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and people people find that confining, but really, it, it, it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it, it it means that we don't exist for no reason. Right, right. Um, Father, let's talk a little bit about our our sex abuse scandal and 
the horrors of it all. And the priests, the bishops and cardinals, as we speak, are like 10 minutes away from our studio in, at Mundelein Seminary yeah. on retreat. Um, first of all, what are your thoughts on the, the crisis? What, what do you think has to be done to fix it? Well, I mean, well, I, I think there is the immediate uh, obvious crisis, which is, which is one of abuse, right? Right, right. And, uh, um, and as, as all the, the things surrounding Cardinal McCarrick uh, reveal, sort of a, um, a homosexual predatory uh, aspect to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so th there, there is that, right? Uh, yeah. th this grave not just misbehavior, but the gravely sinful behavior uh, mm -hmm. of, of priests, which is to the, to the shame of all priests. And right. it's, it's a shame we, we have to bear, and we should bear uh, realizing that, that uh, it is our brothers who, who, have, who have done this. And, uh, right. um, but there's a deeper, the deeper crisis is, is of course, spiritual, and, and it's, again, the clergy. Right. And it's, again, the, the need for a renewal in the clergy, uh, mm -hmm. most especially, and renewals in the church typically come that way, right? It's, yes, it's going to be Dominic and Francis, it's it's Ignatius and uh, John the Cross and Teresa of Avila and Philip Neri, um, and uh, so that's the deeper the deeper uh, um, reform that has to happen. That's the one that's most sort of on my heart and mind, mainly because <laughs> I think it's the it's it's the most necessary reform, but also. It's the one that I can participate in the most. Right. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a bishop. I'm not there. I can't. I don't have a vote. I don't. Um, clearly, there there needs to be some uh, some things in place uh, to to address these some uh, policies or protocols, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Um, any healthy organization will have will be able to police itself mm -hmm. by by having such things in place. And you know, this is, the corporations have have learned this over the sure. past year or two in the, in the whole Me Too movement, uh, and, and we have to have those. But, but as the Church, we have to go deeper than that, too. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there has to be atonement uh, on the part of priests, and yes. there has to be a repar reparation on the part of priests, and there has to be, I mean, how does this happen, except that we don't, we don't take this, the, uh, uh, we don't take ourselves seriously, we don't take uh, what our Lord has given to us seriously seems do you feel like there will be um reparation and, and repentance do you feel like there will be a deeper spiritual goodness coming out of this uh, restoration in um on, you know what on the part of some mm -hmm. yes i mean i i already i already know you know priests who who've just you know their you know their lives have they have changed their lives because they're like you know i mm -hmm. clearly um you know so, something uh, something has to change here. Yes, yes. And um, uh, and and we can't. You know, I. You know, one thing that that, occurred, that that has been on my mind is that it's mediocrity and uh, and and fear um, and weakness uh, more than it's mendacity. And mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that a lot of a lot of priests are aware. Well, I, you know, I can't be I can't be mediocre anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, because unfortunately, this is this is where mediocrity le uh, leads. Mm-hmm. That that's inspiring. <laughs> that yeah. This, this yeah. reminds well, me. I, oh, you know, the because, Go ahead. Be, because we're we're not we're not because a priest is not just to 
just, you know, everybody is basically good and we're just trying to, to help people get along. So it, it's a battle between good and evil mm-hmm. and the devil exists. And if we don't take that seriously, then we're, we're, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be sitting ducks for his assaults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, people in the church have not taken, um, uh, the devil seriously, mm-hmm. and uh, and it doesn't mean he's not there anymore. It just means that uh, he can work much more easily when when, when we don't think he's really mm-hmm. uh, around. Susie, did you Bishop want to uh, Reiser, uh, you're saying this. Bishop Robert Barron uh, says this is the devil's masterpiece. What he's done here in in the church, uh, it's very sad. But on a more positive note. I think that um, uh, you mentioned before the word accountability, and I think that uh, that is going to be uh, a very, very important aspect in the healing among the cardinals, archbishops, priests, bishops, all the clergy. Um, there, it reminds me of the um, the in. Um, the book, um, The Theology of the Body, Christopher West body, uh, story, that story book, uh, which is a s- summary of all those beautiful uh, 127 homilies that Pope St. John Paul II gave. But the thrust of, the, of it, it says how Jesus gave himself totally, freely, faithfully, and fruitfully. Mm. And I think that if we... Uh, can keep that before us as lay people as well as clergy that that will center us on Jesus in a way that uh, today the f- the feast of the holy name of Jesus sure. uh, but that will keep us centered on him uh, in a way because that's the way he went to the cross totally freely faithfully and fruitfully that right on right on yeah that's it. Absolutely. That's a good way for us to look at it, Susie. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Father, you've done a lot of work with courage, um, um, with the homosexuality, with same-sex attraction, and so on. And um, the, you say, um, well, let's talk about homosexuality a bit. Let's talk about your understanding of it and why it's it's uh, a disorder, as our church teaches. Well, yeah, and, and here we have to be we have to be precise with our terms. My understanding right. of it comes, I mean, it's it's what the church teaches. It's it, that's right. where I receive it. Uh, and and you know, in the work of courage, our we are always uh, striving to make a threefold distinction. One is uh, regarding homosexual actions, which mm-hmm. are always always wrong. Right? right. Those, those are intrinsically moral acts as if, if we want to speak of it in technical terms mm-hmm. and then the the same-sex attractions the church describes as as um objectively disordered which is not a you know it's it, it sounds harsher than it is mm-hmm. it, it it is is it's an expression that that, that means that uh the proper ordering of our sexual desires should be male to female female to male Yes. And uh, anything departing from that is, you know, uh, doesn't make the person wicked, but it, it means that they're not they're not going in the right direction. Right. Uh, and then the, the the third distinction, of course, is the person, and and we're always trying to distinguish the person from the from the attractions and from the actions, and say the person is always at all times good, and and to be loved, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and so that that is that is really the core of our work. 
whether it is in uh, uh, at our chapter meetings, you know, with, mm-hmm. with men and women who have same-sex attractions and striving heroically to live chastity in a culture that tells them that chastity is absurd. Uh, that's the core of our teaching when we're um, giving, giving presentations to uh, to clergy or to uh, to the lay faithful. So, um, and it, it's it is so misunderstood, of course, uh, in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church um, calls all people to, to to chastity. Chastity is not something that we view as bad or as an imposition. Everyone is called to live chastity according to their state in life, right. and uh, and so we we don't want to say there there are different you know different paths or different kinds of people. So no, there, there's a human person who, depending on his or her situation, has a variety of struggles and and uh, and difficulties and and, and blessings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no matter who it is, that person is called to to live chastity. And the simple work of courage is, we want to help men and women who have same attractions to live chastity mm-hmm. and and to find the joy and the peace that comes from living chastity. It's yes. not it's not a uh, a morose thing. It's not something yes. that, that brings sadness to the heart, but chastity properly lived uh, brings joy. Father, this it could uh, spawn a whole other program, and we only have two minutes left. I, w- the time is just running out. L- hopefully we can continue this discussion some other time on another program. We usually okay. end our, our, our program with praying for uh, people who've emailed. We have like three or four requests. So, Father, I'll just name these, and then could you say a prayer for them, and then we'll end with you blessing our listeners. So we have uh, sure. asking someone asking um, for to uh, solution to pray for a solution to his daughter's situation, and I, I ha- and for the family. I'll have to leave it at that. Um, also, pr- protection of a uh, daughter from a violent, abusive husband who has evicted her from his home, from her home. So and unable to conceive uh, children for five years. And then there was someone who uh, f- praying for the salvation of D and for h- him to love his little boy. And then for, uh, for someone asking for their daughter, Dominique, who is seven months pregnant and experiencing high risk issues. Could you say a prayer for them, Father? We only have 45 sure. seconds. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God and Father, on this feast of the holy name of Jesus, we entrust all these uh, petitions and intentions uh, into your hands, uh, trusting that your Son, uh, born to us in this world, uh, who has brought us salvation, uh, that, that he can bring consolation to those who are hurting and healing to them as well, and, that, and healing and, and justice for each situation. We pray this with confidence because we pray in that name that alone saves us the name of Jesus our Lord Amen Thank you Father You have been listening God bless to you Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio For more information about this program or to purchase additional CD copies please call us at 224-206-8455 That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace.
peace and be healed of your disease.